Episode 148, Brigitte Huffala, speaker, master trainer, and certified coach. My favorite mistake was coming from Germany to the U.S. That was not the mistake itself. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about Brigitte and her work, look for links in the show notes or you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake 148. As always, thanks for listening and now on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Brigitte Hufela. She is a speaker, master trainer, certified coach. Um, she's the owner of two educational institutions. She's the founder of One for Children. That's uh, Montessori School of Cleveland, Tennessee. Common, common mistake, uh, people might think Cleveland, Ohio, right, Brigitte? Yes, exactly. Um, and another school for adults that she um, purchased some years ago, the Center of NLP. The website for that is www.centerofnlp.com. And as Brigitte's bio says, she's German by birth, American by choice, educator by trade, speaker and trainer by design, CEO by passion. And Brigitte is an executive board member of the International Coaching Federation. So Brigitte, thank you for, for being here. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. This is fun. And you're right. People, they're like, oh, Cleveland, Ohio. No, it's Cleveland, Tennessee, which is the second second best, biggest, best, probably the first best, but the second (laughs) biggest Cleveland. And there are several other Clevelands. There's actually a Cleveland, Georgia as well. Ah, okay. And you're coming to us from Georgia. I am coming to you from Georgia, but that is Atlanta, Georgia, which is a lot bigger than Cleveland, Georgia. Well, thank you for um, being podcast guest by choice um, as well. Um, <laughs> That's right. In another headline of your bio, um, I just want to ask you about this because I like when people have interesting or creative phrases as a summary. It says precision meets charisma. Tell, you know, tell when, us about that. When, when, when people meet me, first of all, they have a hard time placing my accent because they can't, they're like, when they get to know me a little bit, they're like, oh, you're German, but you don't sound like a German. And then I ask them, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to speak like a German in speaking English? Or what do you, I've learned, I've trained myself over years and years to not speak like that. Right. Um, So people have a hard time placing my accent and coming from Germany, there is a lot of that precision, right? That, that mindset of, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be just like that. Um, and I never, I, I, my brain works that way and I like structure and I like planning and I like, you know, strategies and all of that. I like to uh, know what's next. And yet at the same time, there's a beautiful balance to having, and that's my, just my characteristic, the way that I am being very charismatic, being very outgoing, loving fun, freedom and flexibility. And for the for a large amount of my time, I thought that was um, that was kind of negating each other. It was almost a, a battle within myself until I finally, you know, kind of surrendered 
and gave in and said, it's not a battle. It's a beautiful balance. Sure. So many things in life, it's about breaking down false trade-offs, perhaps. So it could be precise charisma or charismatic precision. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll take it every day, any day. And I didn't, you know, that that was one point when when my husband and I made the decision to move to the States. Uh, it, it was a it was an easy cutting tie because Germans like to see as the half glass full. And I like to see as, oh, there is a glass. It's a vessel. What are we going to do with it? Let's fill it with what can we fill it? So there's all of these opportunities, right? Um, that I always loved exploring, and yet it was almost in conflict with my precision. Not anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you you've figured or continue figuring that out. Um, and when you talk about looking for opportunities, I mean that's one thing we often talk about here on my favorite mistake. Um, mistakes are setbacks that lead to opportunities, and um, there's a lot we can talk about today. But Brigida, you know, thinking uh, to different aspects of your career, what would you say is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake was coming from Germany to the U.S. That was not the mistake itself. I'm just kind of, you know, going into a little bit of a buildup. Coming to the States as a uh, young 30-some female businesswoman into a small community in Cleveland, Tennessee. It's outside of Chattanooga. Um, and building a business, that's all, you know, so far so good. Um, but I'm thinking as I'm establishing the business, I can do it the German way. Let's do it the way that I know how to do it. Going into a small community, building a Montessori school. First of all, they didn't even know the community itself didn't even know what that was. And if you know anything about Tennessee, it is, you know, it's the buckle of the Bible belt. So people thought, oh my God, she brought the devil in, right? So, so, so there were, there were many mistakes within that. And um, I learned quickly from those mistakes that it doesn't have to be my way or the highway. Um, It can be done in different ways. And it doesn't even have to be this way or that way. It can be this way, that way, or the other way. And by learning, it took me a while, right? I come from a mindset of there's no failure. There's only feedback. So, Mark, there was a lot of feedback, okay? There was a lot of feedback over time. And and through that, that became my biggest mistake of being cocky, coming in as this young German entrepreneur that thought, eh, you know, I already know how to do it. Just get out of my way and let me do it. And uh, it really made me um, humble, more humble. It made me... Uh, realize that, yeah, we're all humans, but we are definitely living in two different cultures. And the American mindset is a doer mindset. And the German mindset is a planner mindset. And, you know, all of that were great insights that led me to be the person that I am today and led me to be the business owner and the boss of many, um, to be humble enough to also within the English language, speak people's language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's the English words and then they're speaking to them in a way that connects beyond that. Um, so I'm curious, you know, before um, even kind of talking about what's some of those specific mistakes or manifestations of that, that cockiness, um, 
looked like. What did you have a background in Montessori education back in Germany? Yeah, I have a I have a teaching uh, degree, so I'm I'm a educator by trade. Um, went to university in Germany, and then as I was looking, um, when my husband and I married and we were looking at having children, I wanted our children to go to a Montessori school because through my own education, becoming a teacher, I learned about the Montessori method and I never, I, I didn't know anything about it until I went through it in university. And I was like, well, wait a minute, why isn't every child going to a Montessori school? And why didn't I go to a Montessori school? I want my children to go to a Montessori school. Right? Montessori, in, in comparison for the ones that don't know what Montessori is, is a in comparison to traditional schools, it's very individualized. That doesn't mean that it's a free for all. Right. That's it's not, one. It's not unstructured. It's not unstructured. It 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 has its clear boundaries, it, and within those boundaries, there's freedom. Right. So it is very structured. And uh, so I, I wanted my children to go to a Montessori school, and as we um, as I became. I worked in corporate Germany and and climbed the corporate Germany ladder. Um, I wanted my kids and I traveled a lot and I flew all around Europe. I wanted my kids to go to a Montessori school only to find out when we lived in Munich. uh, Well, there's a three year wait list. And I was pregnant and I was like, well, wait a minute. Let's 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 step some steps back here. I'm I have two degrees. I have a marketing degree and a social pedagogy degree. and I can actually do this. I, and that would be fun. I, I, I'd love to do that. And uh, so I looked into the Montessori method, with, with, which is an additional three-year diploma on top of my teaching degree. And I started doing that. And I built my own Montessori school, started in Munich. And um, out of that, that was, that was an immediate success. Um, and out of that, we said we want uh, to con- you know, continue to grow it and build it. And Munich at the time, as until today, 18 years later, real estate is just, it's horrendous. So we said, hey, we've always wanted to move to the States, so let's move to the States. And we did. So it sounds like you, in Germany, successfully bridged, let's say if there is a a divide from teaching to businesswoman, teacher to businesswoman, um, different skills that would be required for success in one versus the other. You navigated that. Then it sounds like the challenge then was bridging the difference between a larger city in Germany to a small town in Tennessee. So was it, I mean, how, how difficult was it to get your first students um, there in Cleveland, Tennessee? Well, I brought my first student. <laughs> Her name was Amelie or is Amelie and she's still my daughter. <laughs> so that was my first student. And then when we came to uh to Cleveland, um I you know, I came with my business plan in my back pocket and and we already knew we we were re- you know, we were literally hitting the ground running um with opening the school. I knew the the layout of the classrooms, had everything um set in my head and on paper. And then um, as we got into the community, I went to one of my first stops was to become a member at the Chamber of Commerce. And I went to the Chamber of Commerce and I became a member. And out of that, I did a lot of networking, just showing up to every coffee and, you know, shaking hands with all of the leaders. It's a small community. It wasn't a large community at all. And just getting to know people because I had to overcome that obstacle of, oh my gosh, who is she? 
You know, she doesn't look like us. She doesn't speak like us. She's much younger than us. What is she bringing into our community? And, um, and out of that, I got to pretty quickly was invited to sit on the and serve on the board of the Chamber of Commerce for education. And that was, you know, that was a really smart move. But that came like three years later. But being a member of the Chamber of Commerce um, and also positioning myself as a, an international school, because, you know, I have German, I'm teaching German and I'm teaching English. Um, a few people in the community um, through those networking events are German and wanted their children to grow up bilingual, what they learn at home to continue that um, at, at school. And those were actually twins. So I had three students from the get go to start out. And then this woman was really connected. You know, she she was a rave, she became a raving fan pretty quickly and then just told everyone in the community, hey, Brigida, you know, she's an amazing woman. Um, if you have kids and they were all around, they were my age group. They all had, you know, kids around my kids' age. So it was, it was a perfect fit and it wasn't hard at all to build, to, to grow the school, to build the school was easy, but to grow it. And then I grew it from in our small, uh, facility that we had, we, uh, maxed out at seven. So I started with seven and then within two years, I looked for a bigger building and then we did the jump from a building that was licensed for seven to licensed for 70. And I remember calling my sister in Germany and I said, I don't know how I'm going to fill this space. Um, and she says, you're going to do it just like you did the move to the States. Just step into faith and do it. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. But like I said, there were, there were many learning opportunities that other people might have looked at them as mistakes. There were many learning opportunities on the way. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like one thing you did well was getting out there and networking. And if people are going to trust their child's education to somebody, they want to know who that is, even if they're not familiar with the the, the methodology and the, the, the Montessori approach. But you, you answered a question I was going to ask of, um, of, you know, did starting off require 70 or 70 or seven or 70 or 370, it's just to break even and survive. So it sounded like you started off in a way that allows you to be kind of small and then figure out how to scale. Right. Yeah. I started out with one classroom. And then out of that classroom, I, I, you know, if you know anything about Montessori, there's a lot of materials that go into a classroom because they're all hands-on materials. So classroom is about, you know, $7,000 in just materials. Then you need to add the shelving and then you need to add staff. So it's a pretty large overhead to get started with. But I had a, I had a huge driver, Mark. I had my children, right? Three years later, I, I got pregnant again and our second daughter was born. So I had a huge driver of just wanting to make this a, the best school I could ever put my children in. And, um, and I did. Mm -hmm. So when you talked about earlier, you talked about kind of U.S. For, as much as being generalized, uh, doer versus planner mindsets in the U.S. or from, from Germany. Like, was there a particular instance of how that caused a problem or a hiccup, that, that difference in mindsets? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. There were many different um, incidents, but I'm, I'm going to share one with you. Um, which is more, yeah, I'll just tell the story. 
So uh, I brought in, I, as you could probably tell by now, I'm, I'm good at networking. I'm good at building relationships with people because that's what business is all about. So I went out and in a small community like Cleveland, Tennessee, um, there are not a whole lot of Montessori teachers out there looking for a job. So I um, recruited, first I looked for great talent in teachers. I recruited them. And then um, the, the incentive that I brought was I'm going to pay the Montessori method, the Montessori diploma, which is about a you know, $3,000, $3,500 investment in each teacher. I'm going to pay that for you. If we can agree on uh, you staying for you know five years minimum. So we made an agreement. Well, first of all, in the, in the, with the first teacher, I didn't make an agreement. That was, that was one mistake that I made. And I was like, and she left. Mm-hmm. Like I paid and a year later she left. And I was like, okay, that, right. you know, that was a mistake. And I learned from it. And then I made agreements after that. Yeah. You learn. Sure. And, and then, um, and I had that, I, I, I brought great talent in great teachers. They were excited. They were excited to make a difference. Right. And, 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 and to really move the needle when it comes to educating children. And I noticed over and over again, over about a period of five years that they came and then they left and then they came and then they left and then they came and then they left. And that happened so many times over and over again. Well, in the beginning, I was just annoyed and I was like, oh, they're just dummies. They don't know an opportunity when they see one. I'm paying for all of this. I mean, how much better can it get? Right. But then it happened so many times over. And at that point, because it's a private school, well, what do you think parents did? They're like, okay, she can't hold teachers. Something's going on here. Mm. In the beginning, I said, well, you guys are all dummies. And then eventually, right, that was the biggest mistake that I have made of being cocky and and saying, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to do it this, 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 this way. We're going to do it quick. But if you know anything about personalities, the teachers that I brought on are not as charismatic and are not as uh, precision driven as I am. They're caring. They're knowledge based, right? They want to pass on their knowledge. They want to care for children. That was their characteristics. So we have the teachers that are one set of characteristic types. And then we have the leader of the business that is a totally different, almost opposite or opposite characteristic type. And I thought, well, they got to understand me. That was a mistake. That was the biggest mistake I've ever done until it happened. So many times, and it was like I was knocked down with a two by four over and over and over again. It was hurting me financially, big time. It was hurting me because parents would pull their children out because they said, Well, this lady doesn't know how to keep teachers. I knew how to recruit them, I didn't know how to keep them. I didn't know how to continuously communicate with them where I would speak their language. They're, like you said, they're, they're, they're coded language within the language. So I, I had to, I decided, and I knew I had to continue to learn to become the leader that will keep and build these incredible Mm -hmm. teachers. Yeah. So you said, Brigida, that was happening over and over again. I'm always fascinated by 
it, you know, the, the recognition then of that pattern and the problem, was, was, was there any kind of specific moment, that aha moment, as we say, or was it a more gradual eye-opening to... Man, I, I wish, I, wish yeah. I could say it was one day I woke up and said, ha, I knew it. No, it was more gradual. And it was, it was, I, I recognized it happening and I was annoyed. And then I recognized it happening again and I was annoyed. And then I recognized and I was like, wait a minute. Right. And then I was like, oh, I got to move those fingers from outward to inward. Right. So it was that gradual recognition or, or awareness. And then I was like, and this is the biggest part. And I implemented that in my teaching to, to, that I teach my clients today the knowledge pie, right? There's a small sliver of what we know. And then there's a small sliver of we know we don't know. But the biggest piece of the pie is what we don't know, what we're super oblivious to that we don't even know. And I realized that and I was like, okay, so what is it that I don't know? And then I went on that journey and I started, you know, going to self-development programs. I started reading books. I started doing more going to more conferences and talking to people. And I, I started having those conversations with parents and getting some of their feedback. And in the beginning, as a young, uh, as a young business owner, that was another hard pill to swallow because you think mm-hmm. you know it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't. And, and that's okay. And, you know, in keeping with the, you know, the theme and, and what's hopefully the mood of this whole podcast series, you know, that phrase you use, there is no failure, only feedback. That could be a tagline for this whole um, podcast series. Um, so where, where did you get introduced to that phrase? And more broadly, like that, that, that phrase is one of the key phrases within NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. How, how did you get introduced to all of that more specifically? Yeah, so as I was learning and, and really being on that journey of what is it that I don't know yet, what are the missing pieces that I that will allow me to really be the business owner and leader um, that I that clearly I'm intended to be. And out of the whole search, um, I stumbled upon a program here in Atlanta, and I, I heard from other people about NLP and. I didn't know, I didn't understand what it was. And then I, you know, I kind of dismissed it. And then I went another direction and then it, it kept popping up. You, you, you know, Mark, when you, when you never see a, uh, a yellow um, VW bug and now I brought it to your attention, suddenly you, everywhere you go, you see yellow <laughs> VW bugs, right? So it started popping up and popping up and I'm like, okay, that's a sign, right? It's what mm-hmm. I made it mean. That's a sign. Mm-hmm. I want to look more into it. I want to learn more about it. And I took the first course, uh, which was taught by uh, my, who became my mentor. uh, And he was from Denmark here in Atlanta. And we just, you know, I took all of his courses. I learned from him. I NLP is like a language. It's the meta program of, of how we communicate. And one of the, there are many laws within NLP. They're called the success laws of NLP. And one of the laws states that there is no failure, only feedback. And that really got me, right? And I said, okay, so if I can gradually learn all of these laws and then start applying them in my life and then start communicating, um, I wonder if that's going to make a difference. 
And mm-hmm. sure enough. So it's just kind of digging into, I, I don't know, I, uh, I, I don't know anything about Montessori education. I don't really know anything about NLP. I've heard the terms. I've heard it discussed, but can you help us break down like what those three words mean? Like starting off, maybe working backwards when you say programming, like do people think like, wait a minute, are you, are you programming me or what, what, what's the intent of yeah. that word? And, and, I, and thank you for that. You know, that that's the programming part is what gets people most. And we are constantly programming ourselves, our own behavior. Well, and, and the things that happen to us, the mistakes that happen to us program us. So if, if, if I had a bad uh, uh, car accident and I, re, you know, I broke my wrist and I broke my hip and, you know, my cars uh, and, and, and I have to pay all of this money, we're now programmed. It probably takes us a while to get back in a car and drive because we have learned through such a traumatic experience. We were programmed to learn getting in a car is going to hurt not just physically, but also financially. So there's a program in place, which is um, a, a behavior, if this, then that. So if, if it, it, it is a cause and effect, right? So we're constantly, if you like the word programming or not, you're constantly programming yourself. You program yourself looking in the mirror. You're either programming yourself in a positive way. Oh, you look really nice today. <laughs> Most of the time, when we look in the mirror, we're going to go, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. I could be, you know, taller, skinnier, fatter, whatever, whatever you desire. Right. So we're constantly programming ourselves subconsciously. Mistakes are programming ourselves. And it, it depends on with which mindset do we look at these mistakes? Are they mistakes? And we kind of you know, go, oh, woe is me. Now I made that mistake and now I'm forever doomed. Or, hey, what's the learning in this mistake? And how can I move past that? It's not one or the other in mindset. It's literally a an evaluation of the balance of both. And that program, that is a mindset. I have programmed myself to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. But that is not a program that anyone else has programmed me because you cannot program someone that is not already part of their value system. So thinking of a situation, maybe back to to children who might do well in Montessori school, I might have been a kid that would have done really well in Montessori school, Um, you know, to get a little personal, like first couple of years in school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, um, there, there are times where you're ridiculed for being a kid in the class who's advanced and, you know, in first grade being sent to the third grade classroom for math, that suddenly makes you very apparently different. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there are times where you think, well, so like the, the way kids were acting then my reaction to that, maybe program myself, is that a way of thinking about it? And then comparing to them when I had an opportunity to go to a different type of school that was more of a, uh, a magnet school where suddenly that was celebrated this idea right. of, you know, being, you know, um, but, but, but that, that, um, that programming either way of being smart makes you stick. Sounds arrogant. Sorry. But like, you know, being an advanced kid in class makes you stick out in a way that's bad could lead to the programming of all that's something to hide. That's something to be ashamed of. Don't stick out versus being in a an, in a educational setting that was thankfully more accepting, if not celebrating, of different talents. 
Correct. And, and that is the way, um, where, where does that mindset and that programming fall on? So, you know, how were you brought up? What did your parents at home say Did they continue that? Oh yeah, you're just, you know, you're just a little smarty pants and you got to go into third grade and yeah, you're just, you just think you're something special. Now the programming gets even, even stronger well, because yeah. you're not just getting it from school. Now you're getting it from home well, too. Yeah. And, and they were supportive by the way, thankfully. So. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully. So, so seeing that, right. If, if we take Les Brown, a motivational speaker as an example, who heard his entire life growing up in school that he is, and I'm going to use the word because they used it retarded, but he at from home, his mom poured all her faith and all of the great words that she could find into him. And that's who he became because that programming was stronger than negative programming from school. And again, not, not to turn this into a therapy session, but you got me thinking like, I apologize basically for using the word smart. And this is not a binary smart, dumb. Um, I, I wouldn't. So maybe there's a little bit of shame. I don't know. Gosh, I'm, Going back to uh, first grade classroom here of like I, I I could it's okay to say I'm smart that's not yes, really the, that's not it, that's not really an arrogant statement no it's not not at all and and do you see how deeply rooted <laughs> that <laughs> is yeah right because it happens programming we're programmed all the time and this is not an overgeneralized statement we truly are programming like right now I'm programming people. You decide if you like what I say or not. So you're programming yourself of saying, oh, I want to look more into Montessori. I want to look more into NLP, right? So, but I cannot program you against your will. So you decide, does it fit now as adults? Does it fit with my values? When we're little in our imprint phase from age zero to age six, that uh, the, the conscious and the subconscious mind are one. It's not separated. It separates around age six, age seven. But when it's not, when it's one in our imprint phase, all of the information, all of the words, everything that we hear, and the more often we hear it, the deeper it is rooted in who we are. It's our belief system. And it's so deep in there that that is our program. And later on, you know, in life, we're going to find, well, why am I apologizing for being smart? Where does that even come from? Oh, okay. Now you can work on that and start reframing it for yourself and not apologize for you. And it starts with the awareness. Yeah. Or counter-programming is another way of sort of saying that. And so we've made it awkwardly personal about me. Um, I never intend to make anything awkwardly personal for my guests, but it said in your bio, you shared in your press packet that you were overweight when you were young and you seem not to be overweight now. Was there programming that yes. you've had to think through or work through as a result of that? Yeah, and and it didn't dawn on me for the longest time. Um, I have two older sisters; they're ten and nine years older than me. And for my oldest, old for my ten year old older sister, we had a great relationship, and we still have a great relationship to this day. But she lovingly almost uh, always called me Tikale, which is you know fatsy. Um, cause I had as a baby and she was 10, right. I was the living baby doll for her and I had little roles. So growing up, I didn't stay that baby, but growing up, I just kept 
that word and she constantly said it. And it became who I was until I, I was, uh, I was, um, I was 16 years old and I was just done being ridiculed in school and hated, I hated every, every day going to school being ridiculed like, oh, it's another day of, okay, all right. And, and what I didn't understand, Mark, there was a girl in my class and she was about twice the size of me and no one ridiculed her. And I'm like, that makes no sense. That is not logic to me until I finally, again, that was an awareness of they're doing all of these things to me until I realized, and I started reading um, Emotional Intelligence. The book Emotional Intelligence just came out and I read it. It was my first self-development book. And I was like, oh, there are other people out there that are like me. Oh my goodness. And that's when I took, um, that's when I reframed going from victim um, to just taking my life in my own hands. And I grew up in a beautiful little village, hated it, but I grew up in a beautiful village uh, that's surrounded by um, vineyards. And I just started walking the vineyards. When the vineyards go, you know, in Germany, we don't have a whole lot of sun. So the vineyards are, you know, on steep hills. And I just started walking the steep hills. I started out with five minutes and I came back huffing and puffing and I continued to do that. And I'm like Forrest Gump. I won't stop running. I just kept going. And that's how I broke that. Yeah. Well, there's something to be said. There's an interesting psychology around starting small and even starting smaller than five minutes. But, you know, you think of the language people use sometimes framing exercise as like a burden or a requirement or a chore, as opposed to reframing it as something positive, or, you know, if we can't make it enjoyable, at least find a way to celebrate, Hey, I walked, I climbed for five minutes. That's good. Instead of thinking, Oh, I could only do five minutes. Those are two very different ways of framing what happened. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's again, you know, are you looking at the mistakes? Are you looking at the negative mindset? Are you celebrating it? And can you look, can you find one thing that's positive? And I think that's something that makes me think, you know, for the type of work I do, working with organizations and teams, you know, looking for process improvement opportunities. It, It tends to be very, on a lot of levels, very analytical. And this made my engineer mind, you look for the gaps in performance. You look for the problem. And there are times where people thankfully have kind of spoken up and said, hey, don't forget to celebrate the things that are working. That's a helpful reminder. That's a very helpful reminder. And I'll give you a a very recent story. Uh, My daughter, who was 18 months when we moved to the States, just moved back and she moved to Berlin. And uh, she called me, she moved to Berlin two weeks ago, almost three, three weeks now. Um, and the, a week before they left her and her boyfriend, um, they had a, an Airbnb scheduled to live there for a month until they find their own place. And a week before they left, the Airbnb got canceled because of COVID. The owners had COVID. So they're like, oh, shoot, you know, now what do we do? So we, she had some friends, she's an actress and she had some, has some friends in Berlin. Turns out he is traveling right now who owns the building, the uh, apartment and they can crash at his apartment until he comes back in February. Perfect. Was wonderful, right? The way that they worked. 
And then last week she called me and she says, she's in tears and she says, you know, I think we're flying back. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if we're going to find an apartment. I said, wait, 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 let's take two steps back here. Let's look at all the things that are working. You don't have to pay $1,200 for an Airbnb. You're living with a friend right now. So you're saving $1,200. You got a job already. You've been there one and a half weeks and you already have a job that you already started working. So you have income coming in. You have a German citizenship. So you don't have to go through all the steps. Um, you, you know, and, and, and we went down the list of all the things and she's like, you're right. You're right. And then she said, now her, my words started falling out of her mouth. And she says, yeah, now I know what you mean. What you focus on expands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we left it there. So, I mean, there's a lot of times it seems like where we have to come up with our own aha moments where we recognize something as opposed to being told. Cause I guess we're the only ones that really know the thoughts that are bouncing around in our heads, whether they're positive or negative or how we're reacting. Some of that requires reflection and maybe somebody who prompts us to reflect and discover these things. Yeah. You know, having someone, a, a mentor, even better, a coach that asks pointed questions so you can give yourself those answers rather than, oh, but, right. And start pointing fingers or, or pointing it out. But the each person needs to come to their own conclusions. That's that's when true lasting change happens when they come to their own conclusions. And sometimes it takes, you know, uh, getting the same feedback over and over again. And finally realizing, wait a minute, they're not the dummies. It's me. Uh, Brigitte, I want to ask two questions about um, listening based on a couple of things I saw you, you post online, um, your website or social media. So one is this need or why, why do we need to listen to relate instead of listening to respond? I had that question earlier with, um, with a, a friend over lunch and uh, we were talking about why people, you know, uh, business owners, um, C-level executives are not getting their message through. They're not either as a C-level executive, your staff or the people that report to you are not buying your uh, opinion or buying your, you know, whatever they're trying to sell an idea or whatever, or in, 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 as a business owner, people are not buying your product or your service. Why is that? Well, because people are often, if they don't know how to listen to relate, they just spew out their own message without even being interested in the other person, being interested in their target market, being interested in, well, you know, how is this message received? In the good book, it says, seek to understand, not uh, seek to understand, not to be understood. And even my friend was like, oh, that's good. I need to write that down. And I'm like, really? So it's, it's, it's such a simple uh, strategy, but yet people forget it because they're so um, enthralled with their own, but, 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 but you gotta buy, I have, I have a solution to your problem. Well, that might be, you might have the best solution to my problem, but if you're not picking me up, if you're not relating to where I am, we'll never make a deal. And as a podcast host, I do my best to listen to my guests to relate, not to respond. And, and I think this is good training 
Um, I'm still not, I mean, there's always room to get better at something, but there's always this balance of like, well, at some point I need to ask an additional question. And if I spend too much time thinking about that question or the segue or something, then maybe I'm not fully listening. And um, I don't know, it's probably something I've gotten a little bit better at, but hey, if somebody wants practice with that, uh, start a podcast, start interviewing people. No, I had a, I had a client, um, well, I still have the client. And he approached me and he said, I need to learn some of your tools. Super duper smart guy, like C-level IT, um, just absolutely brilliant guy. And and he um, lost his job, was looking for another job as a C-level executive in the IT business. And he and I said, so tell me about, you know, why you think I you need my help. And he says, I'm, I have, I'm landing all of these great interviews for these really great positions that I know I can help them. And then I sit in there and then I, and then I focus on, oh, I shouldn't be moving my hands. So he sits on his hands. Oh, now I shouldn't be moving my legs. And so he kind of, you know, he's, he's having this chatter inside of him. And he's totally missing the conversation and the questions that they're asking him. Yeah. So what's worse than moving your hands constantly is being in your own head about don't be moving your hands. Exactly. Because he's totally missing the boat. Yeah. So we worked on that. That was a programming. So he, he, somewhere he programmed himself. He, 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 somewhere uh, learned probably by reading something that in an interview, you should not, you should sit still and you should not be moving your hands and your legs. So he programmed himself, but the program wasn't, you know, the four stages of learning, there's the unconscious incompetence. And then you go, now you suddenly know what you don't know. And you go into conscious incompetence. That's a really sucky, you know, stage. And then you go into the conscious competence to then go into the sub or unconscious uh, competence, which is level of mastery. So he was just stuck in that uh, conscious incompetence, and he was just kind of hanging out there, and it did not yeah. serve him. Yeah. That's a it's a it's, it's a good story, and um, a lot to think about there. So, um, final thing I was going to ask you about listening, Brigida, on Instagram, you posted it's just four words, and uh, I want to know kind of the significance to you. Um, Leaders listen, victims gossip. Mm. That's like straight to the point. But what, what's the meaning of that behind you and choosing to share that? So the what I said earlier, you can either focus on I'm the victim and woe is me, you know, thinking in a conversation before I said people have drowned in puddles because they fell. And a puddle, as you know, is not deep at all. All you got to do is pull your, your head back. But they fell and they stay in the puddle face down and they go, oh, I'm such a poor buddy. <laughs> no one's no one feels pity for me. So I got to feel pity for myself. So when when people are talking about other people, they're focusing here are the fingers again that go outward. They're focusing on everything else that's not working and all of the dummies that are out there and what they're doing. That's easy. Right. The hard part is turning the fingers back inwards and going, okay, so where can I learn? Where can I do a better job in being a world citizen, in being a parent, in being a spouse, in being a business owner, in being a leader? So that's that's the idea of victims gossip, mm -hmm. leaders learn. 
And one example, and, and as we wrap up, maybe this is a, an example of reframing. Let me check this with you. So, you know, uh, during what people, a lot of people are calling the, the great resignation, you know, record numbers of Americans are quitting their jobs every month. About 3% of the workforce is quitting their job in a given month. So that's huge. That and there's a lot of, um, you, you hear comments from business owners who are playing the victim. And they gossip. They say things like, well, people don't want to work anymore. And I think that's not like to me, that's not the correct framing. A leader would listen and hear things like, you're not paying me enough. Or maybe even more importantly, you don't have a good working environment. So I'm going to go somewhere else. But I, I, I think you know that that blaming and, and that gossiping, it's 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 not good for the for for those businesses. Yeah, it's not, it's not good for the business. And it's, it's, you know, if you, if you look at energy levels and um, Dr. Hawkins wrote an entire book around it, power versus force, incredible book uh, with lots of knowledge and research behind it. The, the guilt and the shame and the fear and the, um, the, 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 the blame all of those are state of minds that I have a very, very low energy level. And that perpetuates as well. So you decide, do you want to be a victim and perpetuate that kind of energy? Or do you want to be a leader? And really, you know, people ask me, how does Oprah do it? Oprah has a huge, you know, uh, aura, if you will. And I don't want to get woohoo because that's not who I am. But that's really what it, what it is. She, when you get into her field, uh, you get either you get either drawn in or you get pulled out. There's really no gray area there. So um, yeah, and we have a choice, right? And everything mm-hmm. that we do, we always have a choice. Do you want to be a victim, or do you want to be a victor or a leader? Yeah, and, and you think of those business owner victims. If their mindset is people are lazy, you're just going to quit anyway. How how good luck hiring people. That's I'm who sure they're going that, to attract. That, and that energy comes across. Yeah, what you send um, out comes back. It's like yeah. an echo. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that's that's another program that I got from when I was a little child, and I just got reminded of it. There's mm-hmm. a German saying: "What you what you um, yell into the forest comes back as an echo." So, wie du in den Wald reinschreist, kommt auch zurück. So, how you how you 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 know say something out, that's exactly what's going to come back. So, be very mindful of what you say, either out loud or just in your head. Well, thank you, Brigitte, for. Excuse me, I'm going to just. I'm going to edit that out because that was right at the very end. Well, Brigitte, thank you, you know, so much for what you've been, um, you know, saying to us today. And, and there's a lot that that's been personally thought provoking, like in, 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 in a good way. So I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of uh, the listeners are reacting that way uh, as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here and, um, you know, sharing thoughts and insights and ideas for us today and, and your story of figuring it out in Cleveland, Tennessee. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. So again, our guest has been Brigitte Herfela, uh, her website, and there is a PDF giveaway. Uh, I'll link to in the show notes, the success laws checklist that Brigitte mentioned. 
um, center of nlp.com. And again, check for links in the show notes. So Brigitte, thank you again. Really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Appreciate it. Well, again, thanks so much to Brigitte for being a great guest today. To learn more about her, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake 148. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.